Hi, New Models listeners. This is Carly. The past two and a half weeks, Julian and I have been in the States visiting family. We make this trip two times a year, and every time we kid ourselves that it's possible to both continue our regular programming and give undivided attention to our parents and relatives. At the end of every trip, Julian remarks that we probably again made an expensive mistake and should really just do what normal people do and send an email blast to our subscribers saying that we're going on vacation. But as anyone who travels to see family knows, this kind of trip is both really important on a life scope and at the same time, definitely not a vacation. It's a period of reckoning with all the big questions, an intense audit of physical capacity, financial security, and quite simply, time. This July, Julian came with me also to visit my extended family in Ohio. As part, we stopped by my grandparents' graves, which are plotted next to my uncle's grave, which is marked by a headstone that already includes my aunt's name, the convention for double plots. The cemetery is sited next to General Motors' metal fabrication factory and across the street from a few auto body repair shops and an adult video store life and death all in one block. Visiting family is holding that full life and death scope in one's head and having it continuously delivered in disarmingly unexpected ways. In any case, I say all this because it's the reason for our radio silence in July, but also the reason for the monologues you are about to hear. Following is a short one I wrote, mostly about Maryland, but typed out while staying for a few nights in Euclid, Ohio, a neighborhood on Cleveland's east side. This weekend, we'll publish Julian's essay, which, as usual, is a brilliantly sprawling, ultra-high-definition distillation of his observations, mostly in Baltimore County and Virginia Beach. We hope you can relate to some of what follows, but for now, here's my short take. Its unofficial title is Real Engine, like Unreal Engine, but Real Engine. But we'll just call it American Diaries 2022, Part 1. York Road is the local route that runs between Baltimore City and its namesake, York, Pennsylvania. After clearing the strip mall and fast food drive through chaos of Timonium and Hunt Valley, it narrows from four lanes to two and serves as the vena cava for residents of the ex-urban cul-de-sac developments and farmettes that dot the way to the Maryland state line. Running along either side of York Road, placed every 200 feet or so, are joint-use utility poles, each one a single conifer trunk, shaped and then pressure treated with some combination of pentachlorophenol, creosote, and arsenic, chemicals banned in many countries, but not in the United States. Each utility pole supports a mass of power and telecommunications cables, Baltimore Gas and Electric, Verizon, AT&T, Comcast, which connect the residences and businesses along York Road and adjacent acreage to the county's main grid. As my mother drove Julian and I home from the airport this July, I think about all the Cuisinart blenders, Samsung flat screens, and Whirlpool dishwashers at the receiving end of these power lines. And then I think about them not working. Earlier that week, a summer storm had compromised this part of the grid, leaving some 114,000 households without power for several days while temperatures were in the 90s. It's no surprise why this happened. Along York Road, the vegetation is engulfing the power lines. Some of it is forest overgrowth, 
Much of it is landscaping planted in the 1970s and 80s that's become overgrown itself. Kudzu, English ivy, oriental bittersweet, Japanese knotweed, invasive species. I think about the expectation of permanence in the area. People over 60 seem most angry about the outages. They are angry at the county for mismanagement and at the power company for the loss of connectivity. When the power is out, their wells will not pump, meaning their toilets will not flush, and they have to haul water from the river or Walmart to hydrate their dogs and horses and livestock. To my mother, the outage is unconscionable. She compares the situation to the war in Ukraine as though reality itself that of climate volatility and aging public infrastructure is a hostile aggressor and her world is under irreparable attack. Out of teenage reflex, I snap at her for this and roll down the window in defiance of the car's AC, as if to more directly connect with the physical real. It's true though that the roads are ravaged. All of the fallen branches and general domestic detritus, recycling, etc., makes the side roads, even days after the storm, still more or less impossible to navigate without swerving every few hundred feet. But it also occurs to me that the near entirety of my mother's experience of the world for the past 50 years, and my own first 17, has been facilitated by these wires running along York Road, held up by aging, chemically treated pine. And the same is true for most Americans. Pulling up to my mother's house, the home I grew up in, everything is verdant, intensely verdant, more so than I can ever remember. I compliment my mom on her clearly thriving flora, but drawing an analogy to the power lines, ask if she's not at all concerned about the house being overwhelmed by all the growth. I point out the rhododendron engulfing the breezeway, the holly now reaching the second floor, and the cherry tree that has started to extend onto the front porch. She rolls her eyes. There's a politics of control that go into home maintenance and mother-daughter relationships alike, and my mother is a selective pacifist. Yes to the violence of weed killer, ant bait, and mice traps, electric shock dog fences, and the break-in scenario fantasy that necessitates keeping a loaded Mossberg 500 under the bed. No to the pruning of wildly flourishing vegetation or taking her adult daughter's bait. To be an American homeowner is to set thresholds for life. Do you let the dog kill the squirrel? Do you let the deer eat the apple trees? Do you grant the neighbor's nephew, a military vet with two tours to Afghanistan, permission to bow hunt the deer? Back in 1999, our other neighbor's lambing operation attracted a large committee of turkey vultures. That's what you call a group of vultures, a committee. This committee came to roost in the fields and thickets around our house. I'm talking hundreds of these birds, lining the fences, sunning their dark, oily plumage and raw heads between sessions feasting on fresh sheep placenta next door. We were told that the UV rays help kill off any bacteria that accumulates on their faces and wings. My parents embraced the vultures at first, marveling at this natural, if unnerving event, but they changed the bird status from visitor to trespasser when the accumulated acid from their excrement and projectile regurgitation, their primo defense tactic, started to corrode elements on and around the house. Furthermore, vultures are fond of eating the asphalt off roof tiles. Real nature crossed the threshold when it started damaging the property. The best way to deter a committee, my parents learned, after consulting a local chapter of the Department of the Interior, Turkey vultures are a federally protected species, is to kill one and hang it up for the rest of the group to smell and see. So, after securing permission from the Fed, 
My father aimed a pellet gun at one member perched on the chimney, off the bird, and my mother strung it up out by the barn in a tree. By the next day, the committee was gone. I feel like I should mention Top Gun here, Top Gun Maverick, which Julian and I took my mother to see in the theater on her request, even though she'd already seen it with her friends two weeks prior. You are going to absolutely love it. I'm not lying. It is the perfect movie, she hyped as we drove back into town, past the cable repair emergency teams servicing York Road. Since it was 5 p.m. on a Monday, we had the entirety of Regal Cinema 8 to ourselves. Being back in Maryland always feels sort of like some kind of parallax dimension to me, where I speak the local language, yet all interactions are mediated by an AR filter that hasn't had a factory update since 1999. I imagine most people feel this way when they visit their hometowns. Same geography, different psychogeography. Seated dead center in a freezing cinema as a well-preserved Tom Cruise and his signature Ray-Ban sped toward us on his Kawasaki, I briefly considered whether I wasn't hallucinating some human version of CERN's Large Hadron Collider, past and present racing toward each other in a high-speed loop, where my consciousness was about to explode into a billion decillion particles. But the experience was real, just like the film's special effects were real. And when Cruz's hypersonic jet flies over Ed Harris's head in one of the movie's first sequences, the aircraft itself, while not actually hypersonic, was indeed really designed and fabricated by Lockheed Martin's Skunk Works division. And the impact of the plane's heavy wake turbulence did actually really destroy the set. I'm fascinated by this economy of real and fantasy, or maybe real and simulation in Top Gun Maverick. The real F-18s, the real and reportedly demanding training program crews required the cast to complete in preparation for the real Gs they'd be pulling on camera. There was also the real Val Kilmer, AKA Iceman, and the plot point of his real battle with throat cancer that he bravely reveals on screen. All of this real holding up an American hero fantasy featuring Tom Cruise as Tom Cruise, or technically Lieutenant Pete Maverick, but really Tom Cruise, who outmaneuvers his millennial charges before training them to overclock their own jets and vascular systems to achieve their mission of obliterating an enemy uranium enrichment site. All of this real set against a backdrop of mail order catalog tropes, shirtless 20-somethings playing tag football in the surf, a sun-kissed suburban Jennifer Connelly in her blue jeans and white Oxford shirt leaning up against a vintage Porsche in magic hour light, and the Talbots meets Ralph Lauren perfection of Connolly in a cable-knit navy blue crew neck in white pants, skippering a sailboat while directing crews in jeans, a white tee, and bomber jacket to tighten the backstay as, behind them, an American flag flaps in the wind. Before the movie, Cruz comes on screen in something like a presidential fireside chat, his hair now grown out, the top buttons of his dark cerulean blue colored shirt undone. Hi everybody, and welcome to Top Gun Maverick. Thank you all for being here. Decades in the making and so many people, our incredible cast and crew, worked very hard to bring you the most immersive and authentic film experience we could. There's real F-18s, real Gs, real speed. So we're so happy you're here in this theater and seeing it on the big screen. So please enjoy, as we all made it for you. Watching Top Gun Maverick is like receiving a bear hug from the 20th century. 
a smothering if avuncular. Let's go for a walk, kid, by those still headlining all the blockbusters and governing the United States, demonstrating once again to their mumblecore, non-binary progeny how the American dream is done. But the American dream? What power is it now, politically and financially, 75 years after the end of World War II? Or even more simply, and perhaps more existentially, what about the infrastructure that runs it? There's nothing novel in pointing out how the collective hallucination that is the American dream depends on a network of simple wires strung up across a nationwide network of some 150 million spires of pine and arsenic, but this fact nevertheless blows my mind. In the following days, there are more summer storms in Baltimore County and more interruptions of power. This double sense of power flickering, local electricity, global clout, is so on the nose, I don't bother mentioning it when my mother reads me a headline about Russia reducing Germany's Nord Stream 1 gas supply to 20%. But to be honest, there is something scope calibrating, even calming about the fact that, in Maryland at least, the most immediate threat to power is nature itself. Very verdant, very real, and totally indifferent to any kind of human dream, European, American, or Hollywood. Thank you for listening to New Models. The monologue you just heard was written and read by Carly Busta. Another American Diaries 2022 monologue written and read by myself is coming this weekend. We have a new Topsoil recorded and in the pipeline as well. And as for Ricky Backtrace, I'm 10 pages into the next one, still writing and ultimately just have to find a good place to stop. For legibility, instead of each individual overarching story being an episode that's released in parts, I'll just consider each part its own episode. There will be entrepreneur-enabled UBI and a mafia in San Francisco's transgender district. And so Ricky Backtrace episode two is really coming soon and will be worth the wait. Anyways, we fly back to Berlin this evening. Shout out to At Dogma for meeting us for drinks last night in Baltimore. We will be back and are planning some IRL New Models activity in the future. But for now, the content tap is back on, and see you next episode. episode.